This week on Encounter God's Truth, Dr. John Whitcomb explores biblical methods for convincing unbelievers about the truthfulness of the Bible. In drawing on some life lessons he's learned the hard way, Dr. Whitcomb explains the clear scriptural basis for contending for the faith. He shows how the self-authenticating message of the Word of God and prayer, empowered by Jesus Christ, the living Word of God, are the means that we must use when talking with others about our faith, never relying on our own limited knowledge or abilities. As Dr. Whitcomb emphasizes, we need to be humble, patient, and teachable. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd, inviting you to stay with us now for part two of a message called Basic Biblical Answers. Dr. Whitcomb has many years of experience in teaching the Bible in apologetics, and you can find out all about that when you visit us online at whitcombministries.org. We begin today by rehearsing our speaker's own conversion experience and what he learned from that, as well as his early attempts at witnessing that followed soon after. Here's Dr. Whitcomb now with the conclusion of his message, Basic Biblical Answers. God had amazing plans I knew nothing of. I had just graduated from a military prep school in Chattanooga, Tennessee called Macaulay School. Anybody ever heard of that school? Three or four? Uh, Gave me excellent training on how, you know, to develop study habits and self-discipline and all those kinds of things, apart from which I would never have made it in any university, I'm sure. By the way, in God's mercy and providence, the, the, the headmaster of this, of this school was a born-again Christian, Dr. J.P. McCauley. And in chapel services, uh, he would uh, make the gospel clear, all of which I resisted during the two years I was there. But uh, when I arrived at Princeton University, a Macaulay graduate of the previous year knew I had arrived, found out I'd arrived, and came to my dormitory room on the fourth floor of Pine Hall and knocked on the door and introduced himself and said, "Uh, John, I just would like to invite you to our Sunday afternoon Bible class at the Student Center at Murray Dodge Hall. We have a wonderful teacher, Donald B. Fullerton a graduate of Princeton from 1913 who's been a missionary in in India and Afghanistan. Well, I had no interest at all in taking my valuable, precious time to uh, study the Bible, but after he obviously had prayed for me and came back two or three more times to invite me, I felt I was obliged at least to show up once, from which I've never recovered. (laughs) I heard amazing exposition of the Bible. I knew nothing really about the Bible, but I was impressed by the graciousness and the wisdom, skill of this teacher. And after several months of this, this was the summer in the accelerated program, the summer of 42, uh, the war years, you see, had just started for us. Uh, Finally, he felt it appropriate to invite himself to my dorm room to explain to me more carefully Uh, who Jesus really is. In a weak moment, I said yes. And he appeared very graciously, and uh, he didn't insult me because I was an evolutionist or threaten me in any way. He just said, I I would like to share with you, John, uh, what uh, God says in the only book he ever wrote about who Christ the Lord is. And he began to unfold the scriptures verse by verse, point by point. Uh, And I I was fascinated by what I heard. 
And he said, you have to believe in your heart of hearts that Jesus, the Son of God, God's only Son, the second person of the triune Godhead, uh, added a human nature to his divine nature 2,000 years ago in the body of a Jewish mother, a Jewish woman, in order to be able to die on the cross for our sins and rise again from the dead the third day. And John, all you have to do is accept the gift. You don't have to improve yourself or turn over a new leaf or go to some school somewhere. You just receive the gift that he has offered you. And friends, this verse, God so loved the world that uh, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have right now permanently, totally everlasting life was a spear right into my heart. And uh, in one split second, I became a new creation in Christ and old things passed away and all things became new. Now careful here, that doesn't mean I knew everything. See? That I didn't have years of struggling to fit all this together with what I had been taught. No. It simply means that from that moment on, I had a respect for the Bible I had never known. God opened my heart to the realities of his infallible, inerrant, inspired, written revelation, the Bible. Okay? I was born again, regenerated. I was adopted into God's family. I became a son through faith in his son, in God's family. Okay? Justified from all guilt before an infinitely holy God who transferred the righteousness of his son to me, to my account, and transferred my sin to Jesus, who paid for my sin on that cross and died in my place as my substitute. See, vicarious atonement, substitutionary atonement. Well, friends, may I put this mildly? I have never recovered. That was it. The beginning of a whole new life. And uh, when I came out of that dormitory the next morning, trust me, the whole world looked different to me. The sun up there in the sky and the clouds and, and the trees and the flowers and the grass and squirrels and people and everything. I mean, I could see immediately, overwhelmingly, that God had designed and created the world. <clears throat> well, I was desperate to share my discovery. Of course, you understand that uh, at that time, Princeton only had 4,000 students, nothing compared to the big, big universities of today. But um, I, I wanted to share what I discovered by the grace of God with the other 3,999 students and the 700 professors there. Uh, and soon discovered to my shock that everybody wasn't going to line up listening to my story and finding out how they could be saved. I started off with a friend of mine who was a very sophisticated young man, very intelligent young man who loved in the evening times to gather other students in the men's dorm there to his room so they could evaluate some of the lectures they had heard and discuss philosophical and scientific issues. And he sort of was like a, a little... 
uh, professor in his own right, in his own thinking. He was, a, he was only an, a sophomore, but you can't imagine any, anyone more brilliant than a sophomore. By the time you're a junior or senior in university, you're somewhat more subdued, a little more humble, I think. So I said to Harry, you know, Harry, you must, you must uh, come to hear this teacher, Donald Fullerton. He, he, he knows the Bible. You, you've got to know something about the Bible. And he's an excellent teacher. Why don't you come with me Sunday afternoon? Harry's response was, the Bible? You mean I should take my valuable time to go to study a book that's already 2,000 years out of date and you can't, you, you can't be serious? I mean, there isn't one professor in the science department at Princeton University who, who even remotely accepts the, the Bible as an authority on how the world began. Well, I was sort of set aback by that statement. So I went to uh, Dr. Fullerton and told him what my sad experience was and wondered if I could have a book, a pamphlet, anything that, to give to Harry that would impress him. Well, in those days, trust me, folks, in the early 40s, there weren't very many books on biblical creationism. Uh, he found a couple of pamphlets and a booklet or something and gave them to me. And, and I brought them to Harry and, and said, look, I found something that will help you, Harry. And uh, I'll never forget this. He looked at me in astonishment. You mean there's, there's somebody that, that can actually write a booklet that's intelligent enough to write, that believes in the Bible? He said, I'll tell you what I'll do. Just give me those, and whenever I have time, I'll look into it. Which was a very polite way to say what? No. Please go away. Okay? Well, I came back to Dr. Fullerton very discouraged. And I want to say that Dr. Fullerton was a, a very brilliant theologian in the, in the right sense of the term, in God's estimate, I'm sure. Let me tell you what happened to him. He came to the Lord while he was a student at the university 30 years earlier and came back as a missionary from India and Afghanistan in broken health in 1931. On his heart, God laid this burden to reach students at the university to train them to replace himself in the mission fields of the world. Uh, he was a bachelor supported by an inheritance and he was totally dedicated to this ministry. He went to a university official and asked for permission to use the Murray Dodge Hall Student Center to teach Sunday afternoon Bible classes and there again in a weak moment an administrator said yes. And he held on to that privilege, that opportunity, for 50 years, from 31 to 81. And through that ministry, hundreds of students came to Christ and are in mission fields all over the world today. Okay? Well, Dr. Fullerton didn't argue with me or insult me or say, well, you just uh, don't know enough. Or if you were a little smarter and had more training and knew more about science and evolution or some other things, you could win that man. No. He did a marvelous thing. He said, John, just come with me. We're going to one of the dormitories this afternoon 
to follow up a contact we had from last September at student registration time at the main gymnasium. The students, hundreds of them would pour in, you know, freshmen to sign up for everything. And, and uh, the Princeton Evangelical Fellowship, this little group of Dr. Fullerton, an official group on the campus, PEF, Princeton Evangelical Fellowship, had a table, see, with, uh, you know, cookies and punch or something, friendly faces, and please sign up here if you're interested in our Bible class on Sunday afternoons. And many students would sign. You'd be amazed. They wanted to prove to their grandparents or parents that we're not atheists. I mean, we're interested in the Bible. And But, of course, out of everyone who signed the sheet, maybe only one out of ten would ever show up, and he knew that. So what he did during the following months was to follow up every student who signed that sheet and go to the dormitory room. And this time he took me along. I really wasn't too happy about this. I'd been burned already a couple of times by confrontations. But, you know, he did something very, very powerful. He prayed ahead of time. He talked to the Lord. By the way, don't underestimate what that can accomplish. The fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous, that's justified man, availeth much. And someday I'm sure God will sit us down and say, Dear child, you will not believe what I accomplished through your prayer that day. You prayed for a loved one, a friend, a neighbor, and, and I answered your prayer. Not in your lifetime, but ultimately for my glory. Because in my opinion, friends, nothing great, significant, permanent is ever accomplished for God on this earth without some believer praying to God through Jesus. Okay? Well, that man knew how to pray. Trust me. Lord, open the heart, the heart of this student that we're going to visit now. So we came to the dorm, uh, knocked on the door. The door creaked open, cigarette smoke poured out, and I said, uh, I'm John Whitcomb, and this is uh, Dr. Fullerton, uh, the Bible teacher of the Princeton Evangelical Fellowship, and, and uh, we're here to see if, uh, you know, John Smith is here, because uh, he signed that he might be interested in coming to one of our Bible classes. All of a sudden... There was a crash of a table as a lamp tipped over, and seven students fled in terror, but our victim was trapped. <laughs> Gentlemen, he said to us, I'm so sorry that I ever signed that sheet. Since I have been here these four months, I have now learned that the Bible is not true. I was ready to say, sorry to bother you, and leave. No, no, not Donald Fullerton. Graciously, with a smile, he said to the student, May I ask what you discovered that showed you the Bible is not true? Now, that's the last thing the student wanted. To be confronted, see, as to the what? The seriousness of his research to discover that the Bible is not true. And he floundered around for a few minutes and said, uh, Oh, oh, yes, Jonah and the whale. Who ever could believe that a whale swallowed a man and uh, coughed him up three days later on the shore? You know what I was ready to do? I was ready to say, oh, 
So that's your problem. Give us time, sir. We'll go to the university library and dig up books about whales to show you that they can swallow people. And a matter of fact, we, have, we can find a history uh, note that someone was swallowed by a whale and, and, and survived. And we'll come back and, and talk to you some more. Providentially, God shut my mouth. And Dr. Fullerton opened his mouth. Wait till you hear what came out. Thank you for mentioning Jonah. Surely one of the most amazing books of the Old Testament. A book that Jesus Christ himself referred to. And uh, I would love to tell you the real message of that book. But in the meantime, would you mind if I told you why I know that, that the Bible is true? Well, the student was astounded. I mean, the gracious attitude of Dr. Fullerton. I mean, he wasn't, uh, you know, insulting him or blasting him or no. And, and so, again, in a weak moment, watch these weak moments that the Holy Spirit provides for. He said, yes, go ahead. From which he never recovered. It had to be a full hour as Dr. Fullerton just graciously poured into this young heart. The self-authenticating message of the word of God concerning its divine authority and its infinite power focused in Jesus, the living word of God. I could not believe what I saw happening that hour. The cocky attitude of the student began to subside. He really began to focus his mind on what was being said to him. And at the end of the hour, are you ready for this? That student was on his knees beside his bed in that dorm room acknowledging Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. I mean, this happened hundreds of times, folks, during those years. I saw many of them happen like this. You say, not a Princeton University student. Yes. Our God is so great, he can even reach Princeton University. Are you impressed? He has infinite power. See? And wisdom. And love. And grace. And mercy. To penetrate any wall that any institution or person could ever erect against him. He specializes in the impossible. That's the kind of God you have, I trust. This morning, the kind of God you know and worship in spirit and in truth, the kind of God with whom you have a permanent relationship through redemption and sanctification. Yes. And I said to the student, well, I mean, can you imagine anyone more ignorant than this John Whitcomb in 1943 concerning the Bible on issues like this? I said, well, what about Jonah and the whale? He said, you know something? I really don't know a thing about Jonah and the whale, but one thing I've now discovered and I'm convinced of, whatever the Bible says must be true. That is a miracle. A spiritual miracle, folks. He didn't know anything more about the Bible than I did when I was saved, you know, just a month earlier or so. But now he knew the Lord. And all of us, friends, are profoundly ignorant about thousands of things in the Bible, no matter how many years we've known the Lord. But you see, the heart that's attached to Jesus Christ is humble, patient, and what? Teachable. Lord, I don't know everything, but I want to be taught. I want you to show me. One thing after another thing. I want to know how the world was created. I want to know about the Genesis flood, the curse. I want to know about the Tower of Babel. I want to know about Elijah and Elisha and all the miracles of the Bible. And I want to... 
Friends, we'll never know it all. But God says, just trust me. One step at a time as you walk with me. And then there are trillions of years in heaven in which time we will then learn all the other things God wants you and me to know. Don't rush it. Don't push it. Don't panic. (laughs) Be patient. The Spirit of God is the perfect teacher. One step at a time. And I say, Lord, that's it. I have seen how you use this godly, humble servant, Donald Fullerton, to graciously, prayerfully, patiently, biblically deal with students. Help me to learn a few things here. And of course, I desperately needed a solid foundation right then in my life because guess what happened a month later? I received a letter from the United States government saying, Greetings. You will report for induction into the United States Infantry at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, April the 30th. And I showed up. I don't know what I expected. I I really thought maybe the general would be there to welcome me and ask what I'd prefer for food or recreation or clothing or something. The only military people I ever knew were generals or colonels. I was totally shocked. A rough sergeant met a thousand of us terrified recruits and put dog tags over our necks with numbers on them, and my preferences weren't even taken seriously. I've not fully recovered from that either. (laughs) And I was finally shipped off the following year to Europe, to Normandy, in the fall of 44, and almost died in the Battle of the Bulge in Belgium in December. And... uh, you know, we're, we're really concerned about 15 or 1,600 of our people who've died in Afghanistan and Iraq. Let me tell you what happened in that one battle. We lost 19,000 men killed and 80,000 wounded. You know what that was? That was a real war. We lost one-third of a million soldiers in that war. And you know what's happening to my fellow soldiers of that war? They're dying today 1,100 a day. And guess what God did to me during that war as a, a new, a brand new Christian. He taught me to dedicate my life to him and to get a message from God in heaven. Namely, you belong to me. And I could I could see that you're killed now or postpone your death and maybe eliminate your death and take you to heaven by rapture. But you belong to me. You know what? I came back to Princeton University in 1946, 30 years more mature. Veterans who came back after the war were not children anymore, see? And God then enabled us to begin a a fresh effort on the campus to reach students for the Lord. And uh, I'm just amazed at how God used that little fellowship. One night we held a meeting in an auditorium like this and invited the whole faculty and the students to come to see a film from the Moody Institute of Science called The God of Creation that had the gospel in it. 300 showed up. Guess who hobbled into the meeting and saw the film? Albert Einstein. 1947. Six years before he died. Whether he believed what he heard, I'll never know. But folks... A tiny little group of people like that 
on a godless, secular, evolution-oriented campus and community was marvelously used of God to touch hundreds of people with the gospel. Because do you know what our God is? He's a God who specializes in the impossible. He specializes in using weak and feeble, ignorant people who just trust him to make an impact on others that can never be erased. Our God specializes in the impossible. Do you feel weak? If you will trust the Lord, He will strengthen you and allow you to make an impact, indeed one that can never be erased for His glory. You're listening to Encounter God's Truth in a series on biblical apologetics that Dr. John Whitcomb delivered at Appalachian Bible College. You can find more information about this school at abc.edu, and we thank them for permission to bring you these messages. Having finished this lesson on basic biblical answers, we turn next week to part one of Evolutionary Difficulties. Keep in mind that you can hear our programs again by going to sermonaudio.com slash Whitcomb. And please utilize our social media pages at facebook.com slash Whitcomb Ministries. We'd love to connect with you there, and please use our resources to share this teaching with others. Now, for all of us at Whitcomb Ministries, I'm Wayne Shepherd trusting that this program will increase your reliance upon God's Word, which is true from the beginning to the end. Here's Dr. Whitcomb to lead a closing word of prayer. Let's pray. Father, I just am amazed when I think of how great you are. So infinitely great in your love, you sent your own Son, your own beloved Son, Jesus Christ, to pay an infinite price on that cross for my sin and the sins of all mankind. Help me to walk in that light, to reflect that light into the deepening darkness that characterizes more and more lives that touch us day by day. Bless this school. May Christ be glorified here. Yes, to the ends of the earth. I pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. 